This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on the show, we will be talking uh, to the independent energy management advisor, trainer and auditor, Connor Malloy. Connor specializes in transport energy management and sits on the Global Logistics Emissions Council uh, panel of experts. And he also works with the National Standards Authority of Ireland on standardization in the field of energy management and energy savings, including the ISO TC301 standard on net zero. Uh, through his company, uh, Authentic Energy Management Services, AEMS, Connor is working with over 120 transport fleets in Ireland and abroad uh, through the EcoFleet service operating under the uh, EEOS or Energy Efficiency Operating Scheme. Connor is also a member of the Chartered Institute of Transport and Logistics in Ireland and the Freight Transport Association of Ireland, the Association of Energy Engineers, and he's an experienced certified measurement and verification professional. So given uh, the Irish government's publication of their Climate Action Plan 2021 uh, to have emissions by 2030 and reach net zero by 2050, and given Ireland's uh, geographical reality of being an island off an island, and transport emissions and how best to manage them from now on is a matter of some urgent attention for every business operating here. And so I'm delighted to have Connor with us to discuss the challenges ahead of us. So uh, thank you very much, Connor, for joining us today. You're very welcome. Delighted, Patrick. Thanks for the opportunity and the, the elongated intro. <laughs> I will shorten that bio, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm saying, uh, you know, uh, how do you find time for all of this? But uh, yeah. there, there, there you go. So um, I, I think you, Connor, um, like myself, you've been kind of knocking around since the, the late 80s or so. Um, so I'd be interested just to get an idea from you, an overview about your career uh, to date and how you evolved from, I think you were a, a marketing graduate um, uh, initially, uh, to being an authority on transport emissions. That's today. a very, that's a great question. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> so I started off in the print industry, um, moved into Kodak, um, and that, uh, you know, big yellow box people know. I, I was never really on the, the Kodak that people knew. I was on the, the, what we call the business side of things. So very much dealing with IT banks, you know, heavy, heavy stuff really, and imaging. And then that took me into the IT industry. And from there, we we set up a distribution company for a couple of years off the back of Kodak's transition into digital. So that kind of gave me a taste for, you know, literally physically vans on the road, stuff moving around, um, warehousing, et cetera. Moved into a large software company as it was at the time called Corel. Um, and we would have been a kind of internet version one. So we would have run out of Dublin. Oh, I've forgotten how many websites it was, but I, I think I remember 22 different languages and we basically did everywhere outside of North America for them. But one of the challenges was how do you download like a CD's worth of material if you're on a, a narrow band connection? So we ended up getting involved in, you know, making CDs, distribution. So again, back into distribution supply chain again, got invited then to get involved in supply chain consultancy and um, ended up going back into the internet again. And um, one of the projects I was involved in with a small Irish company, which is now part of um, Verizon, but it was a small startup at the time, um, was we did a project, which we didn't know at the time, but it was the largest telematics project in Europe, if not the world. It was, I think it was six and a half thousand vehicles or something. And um, this, uh, you know, a little known bunch of developers, I was only one of the commercial people um, put together the software to do it and make that work. So that particular project from memory, they said it saved a million pounds sterling a month in fuel. That's what it was. It was that big a project. 
Now, I, the fuel caught my ear and the guys who own the company taught more about labor and productivity. And uh, as a result, we parted company and I set this business up in 2005. So 17 years at it now, helping fleets save fuel and emissions. You know, that's kind of the, the potted history. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this business, uh, AEMS, uh, authentic. I think the A stands for authentic. Just AEMS for short. It's a lot easier to say. Yeah. <laughs> AEMS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what what, are, what then are the range of, of services typically? Uh, who are the client companies, and how are they better off when they've worked with you? Right. So, for the vast majority of them, they improve their liters per hundred kilometers. Right. That they're, they're within the cohort of 120, we've probably got about 10 of them have good enough data to be able to talk about improving their performance in CO2 per ton kilometer, which is what we all want to get to. Um, but the vast majority of them are still on liters per hundred kilometers because they don't have the weights. So that's the key performance metric. That's what we focus in on. That's what we help them with. Um, for the most part, it's mentoring, as you and I would understand it. Um, in the last two years, partly due to COVID, partly just due to demand. You know, so many people looking for services um, and support and education. We're doing an awful lot more training. So 10, 20, 30 people in a virtual room these days, I suppose, um, um, doing getting trained rather than one-on-one. -on -one. So that's been the, sort of the biggest change we've seen in the last couple of years. But broadly speaking, still focused on the litres per hundred kilometres because we can measure the litres, we can measure the kilometres. For the most part on the tonnage, it's kind of, it's it's divorced. We're, 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 we're the, if you like, the job over the next 10 years is to is to bring those three numbers together into a litres or CO2 per tonne kilometre. That's the key performance metric that we're working towards. So we, I suppose your traditional consultancy um, services, you know, advice, training, um, audit, measurement and verification, which is a particular role in the energy sector, which gets you funding. Um, we also do a bit of work for the government with SEAI as well in helping out uh, on various things. But, you know, your, your traditional small consultancy business, I suppose, but my background in IT, what's made it a little bit different um, and a little bit more scalable is that with the EcoFleet product, which was originally when it was first set up, was a training product that won an award from Dunleary Rat Down County Enterprise Board, I think they were called back in the day. Um, now, this we're talking a, couple of, a decade and a half ago now. Um, but that was a traditional training product. It got adopted by SEAI, and now it's a software platform that allows the, an auto, basically automates the reporting mechanism. So that's what the EcoFleet platform does. Um, the, the training is still very much one-on-one -on -one or in classroom scenarios, but we've automated the data collection reporting side of things. I suppose that makes us a little bit different from your, your normal consultancy that's out there. And So what exactly is the issue then in people getting from measuring by litres to measuring uh, tonnes of CO2 equivalent? Right. So there's that. Thanks for that question, because that wasn't quite the tons I meant. Um, it's the tons of payload is what we were talking about. Yeah. So um, you will have a planning system that tells you how many tons you're carrying. But the person who's burning the fuel doesn't necessarily know how many tons it actually is. So there's a gap there. So you either have a scenario where the customer knows how many tons over a planned distance or you have the haulier or carrier knows with a reasonable but not the exact amount what they're carrying. Um, over over the actual distance and the actual fuel burn. At, at the moment, the two don't meet. So if you like, the big job internationally is to try and marry those two data sets in a coherent way. And, and there's a lot of work going on around that all over the world in terms of standard setting and people putting their heads together about how to do it. Yeah. Okay. And you have this uh, mantra or, or philosophy, philosophy that I've heard you repeat quite a lot, uh, avoid, shift, improve. Yeah. You just kind of set out with us what kind of strategy that encapsulates and how would that kind of manifest itself in a typical transport business? Very good. Yeah, again, great, great question. So I think the first thing to say is avoid, shift, improve is not mine. Um, I would say pretty much all of the, well, the relatively small number of transport consultants that I've met who operate in this space, we all 
do avoid shift improve. It's kind of our standard language. And it was um, 1999, I think, is, is when it was eventually um, put out. And I'll, you'll have to forgive me. And I'll have to send you on the references to, the, to give it a proper citation for. But 1999, it's since been adopted by the IPCC, the UN, the International Transport Federation, and pretty much every consultant I've met in this space. So um, I think that's the first thing to say. It's not We don't own it. It's not copyrighted. Everyone's more than welcome to adopt the language. What does it mean? Avoid means avoiding travel or the need for travel in the first place. So if you can take as an example, a shipment and you can shrink it, or you can effectively, um, you know, in fact, you and I are doing it here right now. If you look at, you know, ordinarily we would have gone to a studio. I think you said it was in Dundrum. We're here doing it virtually. So we're moving electrons now, not humans. We're not moving molecules to meet each other. We're just moving electrons. That's what we're doing. So that's an avoid example. Um, shift means shifting mode. So the classic in the Irish conversation is moving from um, road to rail. But I would also give the example, a lot of SMEs, particularly in Dunleary Rat Down at the moment, are moving from vans to cargo bikes. So that's another mode shift. Um, likewise, you might move, you see someone like Maersk at a very at a global level. Um, they're a shipping line based out of Denmark, one of the biggest on the planet with some of the biggest ships on the planet. And they're moving to rail. So they're now moving goods. Um, I think it's a daily service now from China to Duisburg in Germany. So that's shifting mode. Improvement is where most of us like to talk. It's improving the performance of the supply chain the vehicle, whatever it is we're talking about so far. For Joe Public, if you're listening to us here now and you're wondering what, what does he mean by that, you know, the first thing that jumps into most people's mind is actually um, improved by buying an electric car. But that's not actually what the improved piece meant in its original. There was an actual F at the end. So ASI F and the small F at the end stood for changing your fuel. So effectively, just to go back to improve, it would mean for most of us driving a vehicle today, a car, slow down save fuel, improve the performance of the vehicle on that journey and slow down. Okay. So it's just a simple example. You know, if you want to know how much you save, it'll be written on the dashboard, right? You don't need a calculator or anything like that. Um, and then the last, that small F is the fuel. That's when you would switch from an internal combustion engine to a diesel or in the case of say a ship, you might switch from um, heavy fuel oil to methanol, I think is the current flavor of the month. So, you know, the, the, the ASI and the small F at the end is a way of structuring your approach to make sure that you have covered all of the potential opportunities for savings in the supply chain, the project, or the fleet that you're dealing with. That's that's the idea behind it. Uh, you mentioned along the way uh, the uh, EcoFleet software, um, either application or, or platform. I'm not sure which. So how how does that how does that work? Uh, what, what are the benefits of using it and how do companies get involved if they want to use it? Very good. So um, I suppose to answer the last part of the question first, you can sign up with one of the partners. So that would be the Freight Transport Association, Smart Driving, Irish Exporters Association. Um, and we have a couple of other smaller partners including coming to the UK where you know, they have their own particular niches that they're going after. So sign up for your partner. That's the first thing. Um, once you do, then what you're undertaking to do is you're making a commitment to deliver on your own plans. So it's a planning tool. It's, if you like, a corporate memory tool. So if you look at your telematic system or your fuel management system or indeed your planning system, it might only hold six, 12 months worth of data, um, sometimes even less than that, but hopefully more than 12 months anyway. Um, but what we're looking for is continuous improvement year on year, every year over a decade, right? That's the energy efficiency obligation scheme, the EOS. That's how it works. It's sustained long-term savings. So we're feeding into that. And effectively, the EcoFleet platform, if you like, provides that corporate memory um, for, for that longevity, that year on year, performance improvement. It, it asks for data once a quarter. So it's not particularly onerous um, in terms of you know data collection. Um, if you like, what it is onerous in is that you have to say what you did to save fuel. So you have to have a plan. You have to be able to look back and say, did we 
do what we said we we're going to do. And generally speaking, you don't because you know the first, you know, the last, and no plan survives contact with reality. So it has to, you know, things won't work. Some will, some won't, etc. Things won't turn out quite the way you expect. That's all perfectly okay. Just record all that along with your data and your evidence pack. So you, you've got to upload an evidence pack with it as well. And effectively, um, if I was to put for those who are from a corporate background who are thinking about what does that sound like, you know, it's it's effectively ISO fifty thousand and one, the International Energy Management Standard, shrunk if you like, um, resized or simplified down to a typical SME fleet operator so that they can log in, do the basic bits that they need to do, see how they're progressing year on year. Um, are they making or losing money in terms of their performance? And then also there's a whole sort of self-audit that they can do to just remind themselves of the kind of things they should be doing to save fuel. And is there a subscription or investment for using it? Um, there is. We, it is a chargeable item outside of Ireland, but in the Republic of Ireland, um, it is, for the most part, like 99.9% .9 of the time, it is funded by the oil industry as part of their obligations under the EOS. And the oil industry brand name, you may hear of them every now and again, Improva, E-N-P-R-O-V-A. It's owned by what was known as the IPIA, the Irish Petroleum Industry Association, but is now known as Fuels for Ireland. And it's run by an organization called REIL, Retrofit Energy Ireland Limited, who are the if not the biggest, one of the biggest retrofitters in the country that they, they, they would do a lot of funding. So the, the ES program is very large scale in terms of its results around the country, but you don't necessarily see it as being a big project per se, because all you see are the bits, maybe you might hear an ad on the radio to get your boiler service. That might be one aspect in the background quietly. We're working on the, the fuel performance element, the energy efficiency element of transport is what we're working on. So for the, for the vast majority of people that we work with, their buses, trucks they're heavy vehicles big big fleet users some very large van fleets are also involved and as i say there it's a continuous improvement they have to improve their leaders per 100 kilometers to get paid effectively but it's paid for by the oil industry as part of their obligations under the um energy energy efficiency obligation scheme eos is what it's known if you want to key that into google you'll see the seai.e page comes up and you'll see all the contact names it's all very open very transparent it's audited it's checked every year so the businesses that are involved what kind of benefits are they getting out of it so um, it's interesting. I think I'd probably pick some of the older ones. So some of the people that we've been dealing with since 2012, um, if you chat to someone who's relatively new to it, they'll say, oh, we got paid because they get paid for their, their fuel savings. Which So one of the phrases you'll see on the smart driving website is save fuel, get so you paid. you save on fuel and you get paid. You get a bonus. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly correct. So if you were to go back to some of the, the customers that were there over the years, I was looking at one there recently, they were just at, you know, change of contact, new user, just, you know, getting them onto the system. And I think cumulatively over the period of time, they had avoided using 250,000 liters worth of fuel. And you gotta remember, they only avoided that once, but they've avoided it continuously. So they're doing, they're still growing as a business. They're improving, you know, the, the way they operate across the board in terms of just general business efficiencies and profitability, but they can see in Ecofleet how, much fuel they've avoided using. So it, it, like as a one-off, without counting the, the cumulative effect, they are, if you like, 250,000 euro to the good on their bottom line. Now, if you chatted to them, they'll say, yeah, we can feel it, but you know, in the accounts, you know, where exactly is it? It's always difficult to see it because you, you probably spent some of it somewhere else along the way as well. Mm. So they get a check in inverted commas, a bonus payment, um, that really confirms that that's what they saved. Now, they obviously, quarter of a million didn't happen overnight. They would have got that in increments over, say, a period of two or three years. But cumulatively, that's what they would be ahead by. And that's a sort of medium-sized truck fleet. That wouldn't be a, a massive fleet by any means. You know. So they reduce emissions, they save on fuel, and potentially they get paid as well. So yep. thinking, you know, why would any transport company not get involved? So what are the kind of challenges or obstacles that they face that maybe... So I think the number one thing is they don't want to share data. Right. So, you know, one of the key things that's happening in the industry across the world is that um, carriers 
and buyers, the shippers, are having to share data. So that brings us back to where we started there, the bridging the gap between one data set and another data set, making sure that everyone's using common units, language, et cetera. So that's a journey that the whole transport industry is on. That's what the Global Logistics Emissions Council is doing effectively, is not just helping people report their CO2, but making sure everyone's using common units, common languages, et cetera. So if any of the listeners are on the CGP, the Carbon Disclosure Project, that uses the GLEC, the GLEC language and, and um, numbers and nomenclature, et cetera, to make sure we're talking a common language. Bring that back to a small haulier um, operating here in Ireland. You know, they, they're struggling. They've got the price of fuel to deal with. They, they have a driver shortage, you know, not to mention the traffic, the weather and all the usual day-to-day things that happen to them. And then on top of that, someone like me is coming along and saying, look, we'd like you to send us in your data once a quarter for you to get paid. So th- there is, the company needs, if you like, a moment of you know to press pause and have a chance to sort of reassess how they're operating their business assess us to make sure they trust us you know who are we answer all those kind of questions as well so if you're really busy it's difficult and a lot of them are really really busy um so i think that's probably the number one barrier the, the second thing then is that it, it does take effort to save fuel you have to put time and management effort into it um for the most part the areas that they're saving fuels fuel in are is the low-hanging fruit you know the when we first started out, it would be things like air kits, right? It would be idling shut, auto idling shutdown, all these kind of basic items that they should be doing and they know they should be doing, but they've probably forgotten or they haven't checked recently that when the vehicle came back from its services, it's still set up the way that they wanted it set up, that kind of thing. Nowadays, um, certainly with the cohort that we deal with, most of that low-hanging fruit is gone and we're now into the, into the oh, sorry, when I say it's gone, it's it's now fixed it's sustained like they have their air kits they have they've taken off all of their spot lamps on their air horns and they've maybe given it a new paint job or whatever and now they're into the harder stuff like tire pressures you know and the, you know the truck technology is beginning to help them out there now with automated tire pressure monitoring systems the tire suppliers are beginning to get good at giving them reports on the state of their trucks there are people offering them automated ways to check on the tire pressures and people often look at me and go tire pressures are you kidding that can't be worth that much i mean you know but like if i go back to the um to the person who was saving a quarter of a million liters, you know, it, that was a 10% improvement of performance over a number of years. So, you know, they didn't change the world. It was a, you know, incremental change. Um, and people would look at tire pressure and say, sure, but what can that be worth? And, you know, maybe one and a half, two percent um, if it's just the tire pressure alone. But actually, there's two or three other elements. There's not only the tire pressure, which has to be maintained week in, week out and correctly. Um, they also have to choose the most energy efficient tire. Now, I'm not I'm not a salesman for the, the tire industry. They can do this themselves. But the, the key point is that your choice of tire in terms of fuel efficiency, and it is labeled. That's just like your fridge or your TV when you're buying it, there's a label there. Then maintaining the tire pressure, that will do a couple of things. It will, number one, improve your fuel performance. You will see over a period of time, you'll get anything up to a 5% fuel saving from those two actions. Now, if you're to listen to the manufacturers and indeed the EU commission, they'd be telling you it's you know maybe 10% or more. But in the real world, we'll call it around 5%. But on top of that, what the... Um, that the, the operators will tell us is that by maintaining tire pressures and looking after the tires and managing them, you know, and actually actively managing them, they get much, much longer life. So you see people who are on 110,000 kilometers on a single tire now getting 180,000 kilometers on a tire. And they're kind of going, hang on a second. I, I didn't buy another tire as soon as I expected to. And that's a chunk of change that they notice. So it is, to a large extent, you're always measuring, but you can't measure the absence of something. You're, you're kind of you're calculating the absence of something. 93.9 Dublin South FM When you see uh, protests like we've seen, sometimes you see it coming through the media or sometimes you see actual protests in the, in the streets. I think we've had two in the yep. last number of months and there may be more coming. Do you think to yourself, you know, the, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that these guys have not gone after yet and, and do you feel critical of them or do, how do you 
What, what kind of, does it generate kind of mixed feelings with you when you see that happen? I, I think a certain amount of frustration, to be honest, Patrick. Um, and the reason for that is if you have a contract that doesn't allow you to increase your rates um, in line with the price of fuel, there's a problem with your buyer as much as there is with you as a businessman. Um, you know, you, you need, to, if your costs go up, you should be putting up your price. Now, obviously, there's always a lag. You know, we would probably all of us say there's no lag when it comes to the price of fuel. It kind of goes up a lot quicker than it comes down, et cetera. But, you know, the reality is we know the trajectory of the carbon tax. The carbon tax is only a small component of a litre of diesel compared to um, the excise tax, an example, the VAT, and then the, the underlying cost of, of the diesel that's coming through. So I think if, for me, um, I can absolutely get it that they're too busy. They're too stressed. They're too small an operator. It's very frustrating for them that, um, that you know, the price of, you know, that, that they can't pass on the price of fuel. But really, they, they're going to have to start passing on the price of fuel costs in their contracts and their rates. And it's going to go up and it's going to go down. And it's part of what they're going to have to do. And you'll notice with some of the more sophisticated buyers in the country, they do include um, price you know, diesel price escalation clauses. They do allow for this because they see it. They know it at a strategic level. Like we know what the trajectory is on carbon tax. We don't know what's going to happen with diesel. It, you know, it's gone up. It'll probably sure as hell go back down again. Probably not as much as we'd all like it to, but it probably will go down again once this current crisis is over. So, you know, you, you it's very difficult when you're a small business to be able to take into account. So I can absolutely understand them venting their frustration, but absolutely protest is the wrong way to go. You're, you're basically um, creating the wrong image for the industry. The image, the industry built up a fantastic reputation for itself during COVID in terms of putting the food on the shelves, getting the supply chain. You know, people really realize how vital trucks were for a change. They, you know, they really were in the limelight in the right place. And now that the protests are taken away from that. So I think while I understand the frustrations, I would absolutely, and I'm, you'll find me on Twitter saying something similar, um, that, you know, look, lads, th th this is going to be the reality from here on in. Diesel is going to keep on going up. You, you shouldn't be entering into contracts that don't allow you to escalate in line with, you know, some evidential means. Like, you, if, you know, we all know the price of diesel is going up. You, you can find that out online as quick as you can off your, your invoice or whatever the case may be. So you should be able to um, pass that cost on and in turn all the way on, on to us consumers because that's part and parcel of, of how the whole thing is operating. Yeah. And then moving up a level, maybe to the country level. So what are the, and I mentioned kind of in the intro about our having to have our emissions by 2030 and get to net zero by 2050. So what are the key milestones and targets that Ireland has to hit along the way? And where are you kind of on the optimistic to pessimistic spectrum regarding our chances of doing so? Um, yeah, I, okay. So I think... You know, we're, we're, we're scratching the surface, right? Um, me and my business, my 120 odd customers, you know, cumulatively avoided 89,000, 89,500 tons of CO2. That's the figure, right? Which sounds huge. It's a drop in the ocean. Sorry to say that, but that's the reality of it. And that's a lot of hard work by a lot of people. Um, if you actually look at what happened with COVID last year, and then you look at the figures, um, people look at trucks and say they're big fuel users. They are. A typical truck, when you see it go past you, is using as much fuel in energy terms as a small factory. Right. So just think about that. They are serious machines. They're doing an awful lot of work. Right. Now, that's fine. You know, what can we do to make them more efficient? And, you know, I've heard various politicians say we replace them with electric vans. OK, hang on a second, lads. That's 10 vans, 10 drivers for one truck. That doesn't make any sense from a road safety point of view as much as from an energy efficiency or an emissions point of view. So we need to get real about what the significant challenges and opportunities are. And the biggest single challenge in the Republic of Ireland is us in our cars driving. 40% of transport emissions in Ireland are from cars. That's us, all of us, myself included, right? Now, if you stop and look at that and go, okay, how optimistic am I? If you'd asked me a year or two ago, I'd say, yeah, no, it's a big ask. But if you look at what COVID has done, COVID reduced um, 
let me see here. I have it written down for you somewhere. But COVID um, reduced petrol sales by something like 25% and diesel sales by 13%. And the overall um, impact in terms of energy was some uh, energy reduction in energy emissions for everything. That's aviation. You know, the works was minus 6%. We need to do minus 7% in emissions per year, every year to 2030. That's across the board. That includes agriculture, right? And agriculture is the biggest emitter by far. It's 37%, whereas you know, transport as a whole, as of last year, is 17% or something like that. And within that, um, trucks are about 20 odd percent, right? So you know, trucks are big, they're big, big users. But the one thing about a truck is it doesn't move unless it's making money. At least it shouldn't move unless it's making money. Whereas us in our cars, for the most part, you've got a four, five seat, one and a half ton, two ton vehicle that's basically moving usually one person, on average, one and a half people. And in Ireland, you know, we often complain about the cost of transport. You know, the EU publishes figures. You can Google them as quick as I can. The percentage of household income that goes on transport. And it always shocks me how often and how little people realize or how, you know, how, how little people think about how much they spend. But if you look at the CSO household budget survey from 2016, you know, it says that we spent more on transport than we did on food, the average household at all income levels. Now that's nuts. For me, food's more important than transport. You know, I, I like my food, I like my car, I like driving, but you know, really we shouldn't be doing that. Now we're about mid-range when it comes to Europe in terms of that spend, right? We're not the worst, but we're certainly not the best. Um, and we need to stop and think about where our priorities lie. And so people say to me, oh, but you can't be saying this and all the rest of it, all the usual kind of things come back at you, but okay, fine. And an average Irish car in 2020, which is the year of COVID, traveled over 16,000 kilometers, right? The average in Europe was 11,000. So our cars traveled 45% further than the European average. Now that's our money. And you know we're, it's only going one place and that's off the island. It's going over to Russia, which is where we get the majority of our diesel and the Middle East, where we, where we get the majority of our petrol. Now there's other experts and other people out there be more expert about this than I am. But in terms of optimism, COVID has shown me that we can change. You know, we can make a difference and people have felt it in their pockets and they're going to try and hang on to that money. And I think that's what gives me optimism in terms of the overall carbon footprint from transport but fundamentally and this is something that a lot of us miss in conversation we live on an island you know this idea of um flying you know that we can't fly well it's very difficult when 95 percent of the foot of the passenger traffic gets on and off the island by aircraft to say that we can't fly it's a completely different thing when you're in europe I, i'll happily use you know train line and the tickets and run around europe on, on on rail line but it's difficult to do to get on and off the island in the first place so and we need those aircraft for transporting cargo like our exports they go in the belly so we've got to you know it's got to be a balance there to some extent about what we choose to go after and you know certainly for me anyone who watches me on twitter will know i be in my bonnet over suvs but you know you can have your car you can use your car but just stop and think about it go back to what i said to you earlier about avoid shift and improve many 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 journeys that we make in our cars are very short they're less than two kilometers you'll be healthier fitter if you walk or you cycle, the same thing. You might even be quicker. And certainly in the case of Dublin City, you'd be quicker. Um, and Gork and Galway. So, you know, that avoid piece, you can apply that to your car. Shifting mode, you know, get the bike, get the electric bike, whatever it is. Electric bike sales, I believe, are 10 to 1 um, to electric vehicles. So if you said to me, cause for optimism, electric bikes is the cause for optimism. Will we have, whatever the figure was, 800,000, 900,000 electric cars on the road by 2030, which I think is the target? If we keep going the way we're going, which is doubling, the sales of electric vehicles every year? Yes, the maths is simple. That's what will happen. It's compound interest. That's how it'll work. Um, but, you know, a lot, we tend to spend all our time talking about improving the car we have, you know, switching to electric, et cetera. Really, we have to get out of those cars. That, that's really the key thing. That's the fundamental. And when we do that as a society, we'll feel it in our pockets. We'll be spending less money on fuel, less money on transport, and more money, hopefully, on the things that matters to us. Long-winded answer, Patrick, but I hope it helps you out. 
Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, interesting answers. Um, you're kind of, it's kind of a mixed picture, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And where can people find out more about you, about your work and how can they contact you? Oh, thanks very much. Um, I think professionally, I would send you to AEMS.ie. Um, with my Al Gore climate reality hat on, I would say go to Twitter and you'll find me at Connor Malloy. Um, gets a little bit heated at times as it does on Twitter. There's a bit of argy-bargy going on about flights versus SE. UVs at the moment um but it's you know it, it's it's good fun and you'll find me on linkedin but i think um if if any fleet is listening um an sme or otherwise that wants to be partake in the um eos program that was mentioned earlier and, and took up a, a fair bit of the airtime patrick just go to ftai.ie forward slash ecofleet or to smart driving and you'll see the save fuel get paid button in the top right so you know th- th- those are the quick buttons you can click on to access the you know what we were t- what book of all we were talking but if I can put it that way, but yeah, uh, Key Connor Malloy. Um, I'm I'm not the only person on Google, but I, I should pop up there if you pop my name in there in relation to AEMS or in Twitter. Thanks, Connor. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure, and uh, wish you the very best for the future. Thank you very much indeed, Patrick. And I wish everyone who's listening the best with their climate action um, this year, because this is certainly the year for. Uh, thanks also to our listeners for tuning in and any comments or questions just drop me a line on pdaly that's pdaily at albalogistics.com so keep well and stay safe until next time